Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Podash in California. Alan, how are you? Liz, I'm great. Uh, it's good to see you again. Happy uh, Secular New Year. Uh, Happy as, New Year. Happy 2023. As you say in Israel, Happy Sylvester. I think we talked about that last year. Yeah. Um, but we have, I think we have a lot to talk about today. Um, and I hope you have some interesting perspectives on the current uh, Netanyahu government. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's been about a week since he's been able to form a government. Uh, what have you been paying attention to? Yes, this uh, government has about one full work week under its belt at this point. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things that has been accomplished so far is Prime Minister Netanyahu officially announcing his security cabinet. Um, the security cabinet is a pretty important group. They have broad decision-making power um, on a wide range of security issues. And this is sort of his go-to team right, to discuss big uh, security issues uh, for the country. This is the group that regularly, they usually meet pretty frequently, can be even weekly, um, and they have coming in to present to them, right, from the highest uh, offices in the IDF to the uh, the Shabak and the police force and really keeping a pulse on everything security related in the country. So it's an important group. Uh, he's put together a fairly large cabinet with 11 members, uh, eight of whom are from his own Likud party. Um, and then three um, people can probably guess who those three would be because sort of the the powerful non-Likud threesome has been getting a lot of uh, airtime. But uh, but uh, so it's not super surprising that they are, if there's going to be anybody from outside Likud in this cabinet, that it would be they, right? So that's um, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who as the national security minister makes sense of course, that he's in this cabinet. And then Betalel Smotrich, who's the finance minister, and uh, Aryeh Derry, who uh, is the interior and health minister. So those are the three non-Likud members that are part of this team of 11. I won't go through the whole list of everybody else, but um, so that group is now in place and they'll start to meet regularly. So are we seeing any influence by those three uh, in day-to-day -day activities in Israel? I know that uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir made a trip to the Temple Mount today. Um, has that played out in Israel as a positive or a negative experience? Well, it depends who you ask, right, which is sort of par for the course. It is, um, it is not unusual for a politician of certain leanings to want to make a statement by visiting the Temple Mount, right? We've had uh, a number of ministers, prime minister, Jerusalem mayors, right? Other politicians 
who felt that it was important to make that statement early on in their tenure and go to the Temple Mount. Some have done it in more inflammatory ways than others. And we've had times where it then kicked off a lot of, of civil unrest. Um, and uh, Minister ben did it in a fairly low-key kind of way, right? It was It definitely made news that he went, but he... I um, went early in the morning and, you know, uh, he wasn't praying there. So as visits to the Temple Mount go, I guess his was at least so far, you know, fairly quiet and, and peaceful. And, and I hope that that remains the case, right? I mean, there's no reason just to, in my opinion... <laughs> to make a statement just to stir up trouble. So um, I, yeah. I think I think that's a, a, an interesting comment is that it it didn't stir up trouble. Uh, opposition leader Yair Lapid made the comment that uh, he felt that it was going to be disastrous and they would create major um, co- conflict for Israel. That did not appear to happen today. Could be something that happens in the future. I will note that it, was it could a- be something that happens in the future. And also, you know, with these things, one never knows, you know, if a week from now we see, you know, increased violence going on in the country and people point fingers and say, oh, it's because, you know, Ben Veer went to the Temple Mount. Well, we don't really have a way of knowing if that's true. Right. It was it the straw that broke the camel's back. Was he igniting something that was already there? Are people using it as an excuse to behave badly? Right. All of those things are possibilities. So we won't really know. I am. I don't think he I don't I don't think his visit was designed intentionally to be, you know, a inflammatory visit. Um, if that was his goal, it would have looked different. But I do think it was intended to appease a significant part of his voter base who liked the idea of a very strong statement of saying, right, the Temple Mount is, quote unquote, ours, meaning belongs to the Jews. Um, and they will you know, be glad that he made that statement. So, so you, you're saying that from your perspective, this was more of a media power play by Ben Gavir than a statement by the current government. Yeah, I would say that. Okay. Because the feedback that is out in the media, uh, you know, is that uh, the world did not, you know, the world, you know, the media sources around the world are saying that uh, countries are not respecting his visit to the Temple Mount and that it's creating all sorts of problems. And I believe that Prime Minister Netanyahu is due to head to, I think, Saudi Arabia or someplace in the um, Gulf states this week that has been put on hold because of this. So again, we'll have to see how it plays out. But again, to your point is that it's uh, it's been not as significant of an act as it could have been or has been in the past when he's been up there. I am. Yeah. Or when others have gone. True. Any other insights that you've seen in the first week of uh, Netanyahu's 
new reign, um, getting popular uh, support in, in Israel? Um, I will maybe just add that I, uh, we talked several times about the initial slate of legislation that this government was going to want to pass through for their own benefit to make sure that they can lead in the way that they want to lead. Um, and just that even though the so-called dairy law, the change to Israel's basic law, which allows for a person who is convicted of a crime but has a suspended sentence to become a minister, um, even though it was passed, it seems that the ship has not yet sailed. There, um, There is still a possibility that it will be struck down. Israel's um, attorney general presented uh, views about why this, you know, is problematic. Um, interestingly enough, the attorney general's issue was not with the change to the law, but with this specific case, um, because um Minister Derry, in his when he received his um, sentence in January, it included a statement that he would be stepping out of public roles, and therefore, it is not appropriate that he is now back in one. Um, so we'll see. So just that that one is still in play, and not only back in, but in as part of the threesome that you referenced earlier part of the security cabinet. Right. Back in government, back in a ministerial role in the um, security cabinet. Although it's interesting, you know, Derry is a very controversial figure, I think, because of his multiple uh, track record of having broken the law and been convicted of it and having to leave politics and then coming back, right? This isn't even the first time that he's doing that. Um, but from a, a political standpoint, he's actually considered, I think, a little bit more um, stable slash a known quantity um, and the hope is that in within this security cabinet, that Derry would actually be sort of the reasonable voice and to help rein in um, some of the more, you know, radical members, i.e. Ben Gvir and Smotrich. Um, so just because they're all people that sort of have been talked about a lot with the formation of this coalition, it doesn't mean that they're all cut from the same cloth, um, you know, politically. It's very interesting. I, I, I appreciate your insight in that. I, I did not think about it, but you're right. He's a little bit more moderate on certain areas. Uh, so that'll be moderate and experienced as a politician, right? He's, he's been around these tables many times before. True. Which might be why Netanyahu was so serious about bringing him on to the into his cabinet as, as well as the Security Council. Okay, one other interesting thing that I want to just get your two cents in. We've talked a lot about the Speaker of the Knesset um, and the transition of of that role recently. The 
the um, previous speaker of the Knesset, uh, Yariv Levin, stepped in for a short period of time, and a new speaker of the Knesset was appointed or voted on, and that was um, Amir Ohana, a Likud, a Likud member, but also an openly gay uh, member of Knesset. How is that playing out uh, from your perspective in Israel? I am. So I, I, I'm i not sure that it's gotten a lot of media traction. I, am, I think people want to wait and see right how he fills that role and 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 judge Ohana on his merits rather than starting out with making you know sweeping statements about what does this mean um to have you know put someone who's openly gay in a position of power especially when there are other members of the coalition who are openly anti lgbtq um I think people want to just wait and see, you know, is it an appointment that makes sense because of his skills, which is what we would like to see, right? Everybody wants people being appointed because they're the right person for the job. Um, well, I, I think that's why I bring it up I, because, you know, it it is a, a very challenging uh, Knesset where you have people who aren't always respectful of other people's identities, uh, women, gay, um, Arab. I mean, so it's interesting to just see the dynamics play out. Here he is in a significant role as a leader in Likud and now in the Knesset. So I'd like to pay close attention to how he performs and how he manages the plenum. Okay, so I'm going to shift moods or shift topics if you don't mind. You know sure. me. You know me. I like to follow uh, polls and rankings and statistical things. So this morning I read that. U.S. News and Reports uh, 20, for the 2022 best countries and how they were ranked. Uh, Israel came in 37th overall. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a surprise the countries that are at the top of the ranking, Switzerland, Germany, Canada, United States, United States was number four. But I, I want to talk about the methodology that is used and how is it that Israel came in 37th um, in the ranking, the highest that they did achieve was 10th in power, making it the, according to this, the fourth strongest military in the world, which I find very interesting. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go through some of the methodology pieces to just share with you kind of my overall thinking, and then you can jump in and share some of your thoughts as well. So it's broken. Yeah, up. I mean it's super interesting. First of all, the whole premise that someone will make a list and determine what is the quote unquote <laughs> best country seems a little broad, right? We we've seen uh, studies like this for the happiest country. There's best country to live in, best country to raise a family in, right? We obviously there are all kinds of economic rankings. But a just flat out, which is the best country? That's a very interesting study. So I'm glad we're looking at it. Well, let me run through the the uh, the the kind of the category. So agility, entrepreneurship, quality of life, movers, social purpose, cultural influence, open for business, power, adventure, and heritage. Let me now kind of just kind of define what each of those uh, pieces mean. And they're all given percentages. So 
So quality of life was the most important one. So what is quality of life? A good job, a good job market, affordability, economical uh, stability, family-friendly, income equality, political stable, politically stable, safe, well-developed public education system, well-developed public health system. That's quality of life, 14.52% of the ranking. Entrepreneurship, 14.17%. Connected to the rest of the world, educated population, entrepreneurial, innovative, provides easy access to capital, skilled labor force, technological expertise, transparent business practices, well-developed infrastructure, well-developed digital infrastructure, well-developed legal framework. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's entrepreneurship. Agility, 13.96%. Uh, Adaptability, dynamic, modern, progressive, responsive. That's kind of interesting. Social purpose was next. Cares about human rights, cares about the environment, gender equality, religious freedom, respects property rights, trustworthy, well-distributed political power, racial equity, cares about animal rights, committed to climate goals, committed to social justice. That's very broad, mm -hmm. very broad. Yeah, next, next so tell us again, what who's the top five or top 10? In that of uh, social purpose? I know, in overall. Oh, overall, Switzerland, number one, Germany, number two, Canada, number three, United States, number four, Sweden, number five, Japan, number six, Australia, number seven, Uni United Kingdom, number eight, France, number nine, Denmark, number 10. And Israel, number? 37. 37. Interesting. And, and its neighbors in the ranking, this is kind of what surprised me. Uh, Russia was 36, uh, Israel, 37, Argentina, 38. So especially right now, that's got to hurt, right? Russia is a better country than Israel. That's that's a rough one. Nobody wants to be right behind Russia right now. No, under quality of life, uh, Russia uh, is 48 and Israel is 44th. Argentina. Mm -hmm. social, yeah. social purpose, Russia was 59 and Israel is 53 and Argentina is 29th. So you know me, I, I love to see how countries are aligned with each other and with unique structures. The, the one piece that really surprised me besides, you know, entrepreneurship and power was the ranking of heritage. Mm -hmm. I'll just read for you the, the methodology for heritage. And it's only, it's the lowest ranking when it's 3% uh, of the, of the analysis. So culturally accessible, rich heritage, Great food, <laughs> many cultural attractions, many geographical attractions, okay? The other one that kind of caught my interest, and I'll go back to this in the ranking, was adventure. Uh, friendly, fun, good for tourism, pleasant climate, uh, scenic, and sexy. Now, now, I would think Israel... Oh, that's the problem. That's why we're so far down on the list. Israel wasn't sexy enough. So where so where did Israel land in heritage and in adventure? So uh, this was kind of surprising. Israel was ranked thirty fourth in heritage. Now you would you yeah, would think this you know Israel's been around you know the land has been around for a long time. Uh, so thirty fourth uh, and adventure seventy four. I mean come on, there's good food, there's good hiking, it's sexy, 
I mean, how can Israel be 74th out of? Yeah, that seems very unfair. We have, you know, some of everything. You got beaches, you got mountains. Um, and I mean, in terms of heritage, right, the birthplace of the world's three major monotheistic religions. I mean, we have an awful lot of heritage. Something seems off on this uh, on this ranking. I will say, though, um, going back to the description that you gave for the quality of life ranking, that one, you know, once you went into the details of what they're taking into consideration, I, it does make, to me, I think, make sense where Israel came out on the list, because on the one hand, some of the factors that you talked about, having a well-established healthcare system, I am uh Israel certainly has but then the cost of living is very high and um so you know that one I guess I'm not surprised but overall I would think we would have done better and certainly in things like heritage I I would agree with you uh, I was very taken aback you know I think the last study I shared with you was the happiness index so mm-hmm. Know that we'll start getting more and more indexes uh, to look at, but I wanted to. Who show did this study? This was we'll this by U.S. News and World Report. Hmm. Okay. I will. I will put it in our program notes for people to look at, but I think it's also something for us to continue to kind of have on the uh, the radar. Um, so I just think it was interesting. Um, anything else you want to share today before we sign off? Just wishing everyone again a very happy and healthy uh, 2023 with good things ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast you know, bringing people from around the world to look at Israel, and especially at the rankings of, of Israel. Thank you all, and have a great week. Thanks, everyone.